This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 130. And the quote of the day is from, well, actually it's from me. Let go of the idea that you need to be like everyone else. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And if this is your first time listening, thank you for checking it out. I appreciate it. I've done over 130 of these podcasts. So if you want to listen to more of them, you can head over to iTunes or listen to them on Stitcher or check them out at drummersresource.com. This podcast is 100% free thanks to the great sponsors we have like DW Drums. And I've been playing DW for years. And not only do they make great handcrafted drums, but they foster and support drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. Be sure to check them out today at dwdrums.com. The podcast is also sponsored by Evans Drumheads and the new Level 360. And drummers are talking about the Level 360 technological revolution in drumheads that allows for fast, precise tuning and a perfect fit every time. Level 360 ensures balanced contact with the bearing edge every time for incredible tuning range. For more information, check out evansdrumheads.com. Now listen guys, let's get serious. If you want a gig, you need to learn how to groove and Damani Rhodes play alongs help you do just that. These drumless tracks help you improve your musicality, groove and overall sense of feel. And until the end of the month, you can get your very own play along track for free by going to drummersresource.com forward slash play along. Now the interview that I have today is one that I've been really, really looking forward to. This is the one and only JP Beauvais and I've been really just trying to get him on the podcast, not only because I dig what he does and I dig his style and what he's all about, but everybody's been asking me to get him on the podcast too. So we finally hooked it up. He he just got back from Europe. He was doing some clinics and things. And this interview was great because although we talk a lot about drumming, we also talk about a lot of life principles and things like that. And actually the quote in the beginning of the podcast was sort of inspired by the conversation that JP and I have in this interview of just creating your own life, creating your own destiny, and really not worrying about what everybody else thinks or or what everybody else is doing. And just concentrate on you and just concentrate on being you. And I hope you get that message out of this interview. It's really a great interview and I was I was absolutely pleased to have him. So let's get right into it with Mr. J.P. Bouvet. J.P., what's going on, man? Thank you so much for doing this. Nick, it's a pleasure to be here, man. It is a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I feel like we've said all this before. I feel like maybe because I (laughs) I botched the beginning of the interview 17 times. You know, Uh, you've got a great voice for this, Nick. I have a very good face for radio. Yes, you do. (laughs) Feels right. Camera is loving it. Yeah. Uh, So we were just talking uh, about, so you were, you were in France to study your French because you have a very French name, but you're not actually from France. Yeah. My dad's French. He's from Africa. Okay. Um, (laughs) That makes no sense. Well, no, he's from yeah, 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 my, my pops, he's, uh, he's French, he's from uh, Africa. <laughs> no, he's from uh, a French island in Africa. I got you, okay. So that's where the French comes from. Jean-Pierre Didier Bouvet is about as French as a name can get. Yeah. But uh, yeah, usually I try to mix um, work and vacation and something productive along the way. So that was like, this trip was a pretty good example. You know, I was there really to practice my French, but to practice my French, I booked a couple master classes that I was hoping to be my first in French. Mm-hmm. And then a few days always to just chill, see some friends. Uh, my girlfriend came for a week. So yeah, mix it all together. And awesome. uh, it's nice. It's a good way to explore a place because you get a little bit of everything. You get a little bit of the work atmosphere, mm-hmm. you get a little bit of the chill atmosphere, you meet some people. So I, I love trying to do that whenever I'm anywhere for work or vacation. I like it, man. The opposite. <laughs> so now did you grow up speaking French? No, never in my life. No? Okay. Because I'm the same way. So my, my, uh, you know, my dad speaks Italian. My whole family lives in Italy. But I didn't grow up speaking Italian, so I sort of did the same thing that you did. Was I was like, man, I want to learn how to speak Italian, so now I do. Uh, how did you learn? I'm interested to know. 
Um, a lot of on my cell phone <laughs> yeah. apps. I don't. Everyone's like Duolingo, but I don't. I don't like Duolingo. But some good flashcard apps. I took. I took four years in high school, so I had a good foundation. Okay, I got it. It's you. just like it got to the point where it was just time to go there mm-hmm. and like be with the people. And it was actually it was actually really kind of insightful overall, just as far as learning better how to learn anything. Right. So it's been really cool. It's that's been like a personal goal of mine for the last year or two, and nice. it's cool to kind of check it off and do those. I did three master classes in French, all in French. That's awesome. And. Uh, yeah, just met, started kind of like make a really cool network over there in France. So uh, I'm definitely going to be going back at least once a year. I know probably next summer in July for a drum camp and this other event and a clinic tour in Belgium. So everything's kind of like growing a little bit. But it was uh, it was a good trip to go and kind of like explore, test the waters, see if French people hate me or <laughs> all rates. And yeah, it was cool. That's awesome, man. You know, it's... I. So in high school, I had no option of taking Italian. So I did Rosetta Stone. I did, I did it for years. I did it for like three years, mm-hmm. um, learned everything. And, but I wanted more. So I called Rosetta Stone and I was like, you know, do you have any advanced, uh, advanced products or anything like that? And she was like, no, that's it. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? And she goes, move to Italy. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I was like, uh, okay, fair enough. So, uh, that's what's funny. It's the same with like music. I'm starting to realize more and more is there's this middle zone. There's this middle area between like, cool, I, like I'm done with all the textbooks <laughs> yeah. it. and then before you get to like, cool, I'm killing it. I'm fluent. I'm like the, the life of the party in French or totally free on my instrument. There's that middle zone where like, there's really no guide, you know, right. it's just like, you got to go start doing it and you figure it out. Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. I'm finding that with a lot of my with my teaching as well. Cause like I'll have students now that I've had my website up for three years or I'll have private lesson students for now for like three years. And a lot of times it's like, cool. Like with this topic, like I've given you kind of all the tools that I, I can, like, you know, all right. the things. It's just a matter of you spending time like mastering them. And sure. Thing. Sure. It, you know, a lot of times people end up, they read all these books about, you know, whatever it is about playing or about, you know, business or about this or losing weight or whatever it is. And it's like, well, you can't just read the book. You gotta, you gotta start putting this stuff into, into action. So yeah. So. And with those types of things, like if you consider music a form of communication, then you need, that's like the step where you need to involve other people, you know, sure, <laughs> you sure. can't learn to play music without playing with other people. Right. At a certain point, you know, I totally agree. Yeah. So let's, Let's uh, we're going to jump backwards a little bit. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about about you growing up, where you grew up and, and how you got really into playing. OK, um, I grew up in the suburbs of Minnesota, um, just south of Minneapolis, like 20 minutes. And it's very suburban. It's like definition United States suburbia. But it was cool. It was a good place to grow up um, like I don't know. You know what suburbia is like. Everyone's got I, a yard. It's like a yard. Dude, I grew up in suburbia, man. I Run around outside a lot. It's the land of 10,000 lakes, Minnesota. So everyone, like, we go to the lake, swim, get mm-hmm. a, do that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so I was a pretty normal kid. Um, my mom's a musician. She plays bass, actually. Oh, nice. Um, but we weren't like, I don't know, we weren't like a family band. We didn't like, I kind of played at church here and there, but it wasn't like I learned how to play in church or anything. It was just kind of casual. And then when I was nine, I was like hitting some pots and pans with drumsticks and I broke a couple (laughs) and my mom was kind of mad. So she's like, maybe it's the time to sign me up for some lessons. And I did. And I just, I kind of lucked out because I got, my teacher was just a really cool guy. He was probably like my age now, but then, so he was like 20, mid twenties probably. Mm -hmm. And he was just cool. I looked up to him and I just thought he was the coolest guy ever. So I kind of lucked out and we like, he wasn't like a world renowned drummer. Like eventually he kind of stopped drumming and more was just into like songwriting, but he was so cool. He was so kind. He was open to whatever. We would just show up and we'd learn about everything, like different styles of music, like learn a Prince song one day, Blink-182 song the next day, something kind of jazzy another day. So he was just like, he, he kind of helped me appreciate from the beginning all forms of music. Mm-hmm. So I'm super grateful for that. And, uh, yeah, I took from it for seven years. Wow. 
And honestly, we like never, I don't remember ever studying technique. I don't remember ever doing rudiments. Like it wasn't, I am not a fan of that, that type of learning as far as the drums go. I mean, a little bit of it's necessary at some point, but I think there's a lot of teachers who are wasting a lot of students time doing like inapplicable things in mm-hmm. a sense too much, you know, but like what, what, give it, give me an example of what you're talking about. Like, like spending weeks or let's say if, if the kid wants to play drum set saying that the first year of your, your classes has to be on pad. Right. You know, like we have to get all of our rudiments. We have to get, because the thing that's going to happen is the kid's just not going to, he's going to hate it. And he's going to quit. You know? <laughs> right. So you're or, saying from an, from an engagement standpoint, you don't think that's the best way of teaching, but, but also from, from a practical standpoint, like mm-hmm. all, you're playing your paradiddles at a certain speed. It like becomes less, you know, once like you only need to play paradiddles so fast in life. Right. You know, and for so long. So practicing playing blazing paradiddles for, for like five minutes straight, that actually never is going to help you do anything on the drum set. Ever. So, yeah, I don't know. Like if I feel like with, with warm-ups, with pad work, God forbid if you have to do it, then uh, like try and make it a mental exercise as much as a physical one because mm-hmm. like so much of drumming is really understanding what you're, what you are doing and what you could be doing and what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, which is just as much mental as anything, you know, like your body will figure it out no matter what it is after a while. But if you don't know what it is, you're supposed to figure out, it's never going to get there. Mm -hmm. How would you rate your own technique? My own technique? (sighs) If like Jojo Mayer is 10 and (laughs) I think, uh, I think Jojo Mayer is uh, 11. If he's 11 <laughs> and absolute, not, like a, like a sloth is zero, right? then I don't know. I put myself at like a, maybe a seven. Okay. So like I have decent technique, like usually what, 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 uh, slows, what, uh, let's see, usually my roadblocks are not because of my technique. You know, I did like, I spent a year of my life really, really into like studying Jojo Mayer's, uh, DVD tech modern weapons for the no what is it secret, secret weapons, weapons for the modern drummer yeah and that like really changed my life and helped me get my technique in order but it's like I'm always conscious of it I'm always trying to improve it I'm always observing my technique um, so that's why I think I have fairly decent technique but it's it's not something I work on on a daily basis right but I'm constantly on the other hand I'm constantly conscious of it trying to improve it so um, in one sense it is something I work on on a daily basis right well I think that when people are starting to learn how to drum sure you got to get them just playing music just to sort of get them there but at some point there has to be some at least evaluation of of technique because if not you know like when I got to college man my technique was horrible it was like really really bad and I had to sort of deconstruct all of it and and uh, and put it back together. And then, you know, years of touring and all that stuff, I kind of went back to my old bad habits. So now I'm actually getting ready to start this thing with with Daniel Glass. And we're going to go through a whole entire thing of like just ripping my technique apart again um, and sort of going through like his method and the and the Freddie Gruber method um, nice. of like awesome. of like loosening everything up. And it's going to be like, you know, Daniel's a good buddy of mine. So we're like, let's just make this into like this thing. So it's going to, I mean, it's going to take us a while. It's going to take maybe like six or eight months. Yeah, for sure. Maybe even a year to do it. But I'm like, man, I wish I would have, I wish I would have paid attention to this stuff, you know, 10 years ago. But at the same time, if I was eight and somebody was trying to teach me all this stuff, I would have just checked out and be like, nope, right. we're not going to do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's, don't get me wrong. It, it, everyone had, like you said, at some point, everyone has to like really figure out their technique and focus on it. But like you said, this is going to take you like a year to get it back in order. For me, I spent like a year really, really obsessed with technique. Mm-hmm. Then after that, like you're just kind of constantly aware of it and making little adjustments. You know, I think the, but like the, like on a practical standpoint, like what's holding most of us back on a gig or what is a weakness is usually not due to like a technique. It might be more due to like an awareness Mm -hmm. or, or a musical decision or an experience thing, you know, like something where you're better off jumping in and and playing, you'll learn more than if you spend, you know, two months doing rudiments and and things. And also I think as far as like (laughs) those types of exercises go, where like technique and, I like that kind of like sort of mundane technical practice. I think there's a lot that 
no one does that would be even more beneficial. Like, for example, um, like dynamic independence between your right and left hand, for example, or mm-hmm. any of your limbs. Where if you're playing, both hands are playing um, like uh, eighth notes, if you're just like, like a tempo like that. Mm-hmm. And like with your right hand, you accent every three. With your left hand, you accent every four. But they're always both playing the eighth notes constantly. So you end up, you work on this like division of the hands, but not of the pattern of the dynamic control. Right. Like that kind right. of thing I think is way more valuable than like being able to play seven with one hand and five with the other, you know? What's that say? Dynamics? What are you talking about? I play everything loud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, because that's where... You know, rather than I, I like the idea of of taking dynamics and then you know, and then start taking that movement around the kit, and then you can get all these different textures and different and different and feels and and vibes going on. Rather than just like I got to get everything that I can up to two hundred and forty beats a minute and blast it around the kit on you know at ten exactly. all the time. I don't know. I I think that we both agree that that's not really anything musical, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can be in certain situations, but for the most part, it's yeah. Not. There's a place for it, and it depends what you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. if you if you like just get off on that kind of thing, and and that's it, like nothing else interests you. Got to be true to it, you know. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. For most of us, most of us, that's not the case, and it's it's not a it's not conducive to a uh, varied and versatile career as a percussionist. <laughs> <laughs> now, you had mentioned. Uh, some you know weaknesses and everybody having challenges. So what are what are some challenges and weaknesses that you have that and how do you approach fixing them? Um. Well, hmm, let's see. Because what happens is I think that a lot of people watch you play and they're like, man, I wish I could play like that. And I wish you know, oh, I, if I was like JP, I could just play this. But you know, I don't think that people realize that like you struggle with shit too, you know? It's like yeah, yeah, we all do. Right. Um, one thing that I've, this is like, has been a throughout my life thing is that I've never been into the classic anything as far as music goes. Mm-hmm. So I don't know any song, like songs. Like if I, I get, like to go to a jam, if it's improvised music, hell yeah. If people are like calling tunes, I like, I'm not, gonna participate at all because <laughs> I don't know I don't like that was always my trouble when I was studying jazz I was like getting really into it for years uh, when I was in high school and, and at university <clears throat> but that was always my problem I didn't know the songs and I tried so hard to care and I tried so hard to learn them but it's like if you don't like instinctually want to you can't right you know? like all the jazz standards and everything exactly like I know like the basics but I don't know the jazz, like a bunch of jazz dance. I don't know the classic rock tunes. I never listened to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. You know, I never went there in life. I don't know like standard, really anything, standard pop songs. Like I know the songs. I just don't pay attention to the drum parts. So that's kind of, and in general, like I'm not that big of a music geek or a drum nerd. So like, I don't. I don't know like all the drummers. I don't know the history of the instrument. I don't know the history of music. I just kind of like, uh, it's always been something I love. You know, I almost kind of feel like I'm not an artist at heart. I just happened to get good at the drums right. <laughs> and enjoy being in the, in this community. Sure. So that's kind of how I, I view myself. And it's taken me a long time to like kind of come to terms with that and see it as a good thing, you know, kind of a unique thing. Right. But that's definitely something that's always been like on a more on a, a mental level. Like I'm always I've always been a bit self-conscious about that because I don't know, like when you're hanging with a bunch of musicians and everyone knows like every Earth, Wind and Fire and Chaka Khan song and they can just call them and like this, like, you know, the conversations about the history of this and this and who played on this album. Like, I'm just like, that's not a part of my life at all. I like, got to be honest with you. It's well, not mine either. So that's always something that, that I've kind of struggled with because I've, I've grown up in a, like, I mean, at Berkeley and then in New York city is like, you're just in a world of like, in the best sense, music nerds, you know, like the coolest, Mm -hmm. most brilliant musicians that, that I've ever met. So yeah, that's one thing. But on a playing standpoint, let's see, um, for a while, um, well, a focus for the last couple of years has been improving my groove big time. Like the last two years I was like, I kind of was like, man, I, I don't feel like my, my groove feels like wonky. Um, 
it's it's just not solid it's not consistent the balance of dynamics isn't isn't great so that's been a big focus the last two years and i've i can definitely see a big improvement mm-hmm. um but what's funny is like things i used to be really strong at two years ago like when i was at berkeley i was more into technical things you know independence left foot clave and seven eight like all these weird ostinatos and stuff and that since my since my focus has shifted more to like groove and musicality stuff where i'm usually playing in six or four or three like, and not doing odd ostinatos, like that sort of independence has, I've seen it kind of weaken a bit, which isn't the end of the world because also as a person, I've kind of grown in a, in a way that I, I'm not really that into that stuff. But that's one thing. There was another thing. Uh, I've been trying to play with more power um, in general. And right now, actually, one of my main focuses, something that I, I think I'm pretty weak at is like, and it sounds silly because like I usually kind of preach against it, but <laughs> like chops, you know, right. so like partially because I, I don't know why I was just never like went through a big phase of like studying chops, like just kind of fast shit in general. Mm-hmm. So that's something that right now I'm kind of focusing on and uh, yeah, just trying to like be able to go there when I want, you know what I mean? Right. With more freedom, you know, I've got like my tricks and my bells and whistles that work, but I'm trying to really have more freedom in that sort of very fast domain. Sure. And just like you said, and even just, you know, the headroom of, of if you're playing at a certain tempo, you have all that headroom. So you're not maxed out. I mean, for me, that's always been the only real desire for me to, to have all this fast blazing chop stuff is that if I'm playing at, you know, 170 beats a minute, I'm not, you know, completely maxed out and at the ceiling. So I have all this headroom. So I'm still relaxed and just playing, you know? Yeah, totally. So I want to go back a little bit about how you mentioned the headspace of, you know, feeling almost feeling guilty that you're like, man, I don't know like all of this lineage and I don't know all these tunes and, and, and all of this stuff. So do you think that one, that that is, that that has sort of hindered your, uh, your career at all? And two, what do you think was the, or what do you, what do you suggest that other people do if they're sort of in that headspace? Like, how did you come to that, to that self-awareness and, and being okay with that? Um, that's a good question. It's an interesting question. Um, I don't think if it, as far as how it's affected me, I don't know. I, I don't see it as a negative thing, actually, especially mm-hmm. now that I'm like older and not in not like a student, you know, like, I don't know. It's easy to be really self-conscious when you're a student at music school. But now it's like I actually kind of pride myself on it in a sense, like to me to be because to me, like if you're like a musician at your core and you're an artist at your core, like it would be like just a part of you that you, of course you're obsessed with all the stuff. Of course you want to read the history. Of course you're like in it, you know what I mean? And you, you know, all the lineage and whatnot. So to me, it's like cooler to think of myself as just a dude who happens to like love playing the drums and love making music with people, but really isn't an artist. You know, it's like right. if I look at myself like that, I'm like, Oh cool. Like you're doing pretty well, JP. But if I look at myself like, try and compare myself to those people who are really like artists at heart or it's in their blood, it's in their family since they were like two years old. It was just a part of their life. If I try to compare myself to those people, I just feel inadequate. You know, I just feel like, like I'm not doing the right thing or I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, in general, I mean, as it's like you are, I don't know, just who I am, you know, like I don't like playing cover gigs. I don't like learning a bunch of songs that I have no attachment to. Like I really thrive um, as a drummer and emotionally and just on a happiness level, like playing original music, you know, having someone be like, JP, I want you to do what you do on this tune. You know, of course, like maybe there's guidelines or whatever, but I'm really much, a much bigger fan of original music and just like exploring together and doing something new. So it kind of, it kind of all makes sense to me, you know, with what I like to do and what I like to listen to. It, it makes, it makes good sense. Like my favorite things to listen to right now are like the new albums from my friends and like people I know personally, because I think they're just doing some trailblazing shit. Right. It's new. No one knows about it. It's so exciting. 
So that's what really gets me turned on over like, I don't know, reviewing my standards and listening to learning the drums on every Michael Jackson B-sides record. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And what's the second half of your question? Oh, what would I tell people? Do you. That's what I'd say. Yeah. Because you can't authentically do something you don't want to do. I, I totally agree. I've tried so hard to be a jazz cat. And for like a few years while I was at school, I was like, dude, all the dopest cats, they're like jazz cats. I'm going to be a jazz cat. And it was a conscious decision. It wasn't like a subconscious heart decision. It was a brain decision. And I mean, I tried for years and it just like, I never looking back, I wasn't even, I was nothing like any jazz cat, you know? And it was like, that's the crew I want to like roll with. And like, finally I get to like meet the guys and I'm like, okay, we have nothing in common. Never mind. Right. So, <laughs> so you just like, you can't really fake it. However, I do think it's worth studying like different. Well, again, you have to have like a genuine interest, but for me, I, I attribute much of my uh, dynamic control and my control over triplets, like the whole world of triplets, to my time studying jazz, which was a few years. You know, it was like I was more into like fusion jazz, Dave Weckl and Vinnie Caliuta stuff. But mm-hmm. nonetheless, I feel like there are there are things you learn in that domain that you don't get in other genres. Like very, there are very few other genres where you play that delicately, that softly, right? As jazz, like jazz in a club is like, you're hardly moving your sticks a centimeter. Right. So that was really important for me. And just like, I love playing in triplets in general, like triplet grooves, slow triplet stuff, everything swung. So that nothing helps you master that feel like, like studying some jazz. So for me, it only works if you're really into it. Like you actually care. But for me, that was that was epically important in my in my playing and in my style. Even though I don't play jazz at all, right? I, I ironically just got asked to do a jazz gig. That's a really random one. But <laughs> other than that, I like pretty much never ever play actual jazz. And when I do, I feel like such a poser. Right. <laughs> it's tough, man. It's I mean, it's you know, like if somebody called me, especially being here in New York, like if somebody calls me and's like, hey, man, I got this like this bebop gig, I'd be like, man, you better call Carmen and Tori or somebody else. Cause, <laughs> cause you do not want me playing on that gig. Like, I, I mean, could I play it? Sure. Is it going to be hip? You know, I'm like, eh. yeah. I'd be like, like, I'd be like, I hope nobody comes in and sees this. <laughs> yeah. Like I hope no one that actually plays jazz is going to watch me right. kind of fake it here. All of my credibility is out the window now. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Uh, and, you know, I, I I like the approach of, hey, man, just do you, because I always preach on the podcast that like so many people compare themselves to other people. So, you know, if you're in the if you're in the online lesson space, everybody's like, well, Mike Johnston, they talk about him. And it's like, that's cool. But Mike Johnston's doing Mike Johnston, like do exactly. your thing. You know, yeah. and it's like if you want to, you know, for me, I have I have my own thing because I love I love business and 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 I love drumming. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to marry the two and I'm going to teach people how to actually make money in the music business. And, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. that's just what I love to do. And I love playing and I love touring and all that stuff. But it's like figuring it's a, it's a really good day when you realize who you are. Oh and yeah. You're like, and yeah, that's the biggest thing. And you're like, man, I don't, I don't have to compare. I don't give a shit about anybody else or what they're doing now. Yeah. You know, it's like, but before that, it's a, it's a tough spot to be in when you're comparing yourself to everybody else. <laughs> Absolutely. It's really hard to like, especially be surrounded by musicians and drummers and everyone seems to want the same thing. You know, everyone wants to be the guy. Everyone wants to be on the call. Everyone wants to have all the gigs in New York and like finally kind of coming to terms with the fact that I don't want that at all. Like I don't want to play a bunch of random gigs. I only want to play with people I really like and I only want to play music I really like. Right. And if I don't need to do those gigs for the money because I have a different income, sweet. Right. (laughs) Like it's like, why am I trying to like, take the the shitty route when I've got it good. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. That's exactly what I said about Drummer's Resource. I said, I want to create this business so that if somebody calls me for a tour and I don't want to do it, I just say, nah, man, I'm good. I don't need to do it for the money. Yeah, yeah. And that's like kind of like I mentioned a second ago about like thinking of yourself, like what are you really, you know? Are you the artist creative diehard couldn't do anything else because you're too creative? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I know some people like that and I like, I love being with them because I'm like, you're like a a rare creature, you know, like I think it's brilliant, but 
when I finally realized I'm not that, like, I don't want to write music. I don't have something to say like that. I'm not going to be an artist. Finally came to that conclusion in my life. And I was like, cool. And then I was like, you know what? I'm kind of hardly a musician in a sense, but that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, I'm just a dude that kind of doing whatever he wants. Happens to have a bunch of musician friends, happens to love making music with them. Cool. Like in that sense, there's no one else. Cause when I look at it that way, there's no one else doing that. So there's no one to compare yourself to. It's like, cool. Well, I guess I'm just doing whatever I'm doing and it's working and I'm having fun. But it's so like, if somebody I, says, what do you do for a living? What do you tell them? Well, it's a little complicated to start there. I guess I say I'm a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> it depends uh it depends who's asking depends if uh I, how long i want to spend talking to them <laughs> right right because even what i do regularly is kind of a little bit complicated to describe i mean drum clinics being a part of it and then my website and then the bands i play in that no one's ever heard of it's like <laughs> people are like so how do you make a living right They're like, don't ask or i'll have to kill you yeah just i'm a drummer I'm, I'm really famous, but I'm super underground. Right. So right. <laughs> just don't ask, you know, right. And don't right. ask anyone else. Cause I'm really famous, but like no one in the world knows who I am. So, <laughs> right. I'm, what's a, some girl got, came to a club and, and went up to the door and she was like, they wouldn't let her in. She was like, do you know who I am? And the people on the radio were like, if you have to ask, do you know who I am? You're yeah. not as, you're not as popular. <laughs> exactly. as you think you and that's like, that's actually a really funny part of, my like because I am pretty much a nobody as far as like the big picture goes and I love it like I'm in such a cool middle ground because some people like I have such a small following as a as like in anything but but there are a lot of people that really like I've connected with or really like care about what I'm doing and I care about them as like a it's not like a fan but like I don't know a community member in a sense Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that like I have a cool balance because I'll travel somewhere and someone will be like, and like I, this happens from time to time. Like I'll have a lesson and someone will mention like in conversation or passing like, oh, but you're like super famous. And I'm like, dog, <laughs> I'm like, you just watch a lot of YouTube. I'm like so far from famous, even in the drum world <laughs> that like the real world is like, it's just funny, but it's really cool because most of the time I'm a no one and it keeps me really humble to like, you know, I'm trying to book like a clinic tour in like France or Germany, but like none of the shop owners have any idea who I am. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, they're like, mm, absolutely not. So I know. But then some people, you know, if they're like, they've heard of me and they kind of follow what I'm doing and they like it, then they might be a big fan. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it's cool to have the balance of like some, like occasionally something very flattering, but like the reality of it being like, okay, yeah, yeah there's a ways to go. <laughs> so the real question is, do you, do you want to be famous? Do you seek that? Do I want to be famous? Um, um, you know, I, I, a year ago or maybe two, I would have said, yeah, for sure. But I don't know, like I, as I'm getting older, I'm kind of like, more into a more of a simple life you know the thought of like yeah. just being a normal dude is gets more and more attractive as i get older right but i think i would really like to be just well respected um as a as a human being um f- as a thinker as like a i don't know as like a, a dude you know like it'll be cool if people are like yeah jp was like a dope drummer and like he and we learned a lot from him maybe on his website or something but i don't know the dream of like being a legendary drummer that is remembered forever and changed the world of drumming like that i guess i just i don't know why but i just i don't care as much you know right. I, I like when people are like when people, because I have some some videos on YouTube, well, plenty of videos of me playing the drums, but then there are some videos here and there that are just like me talking or like kind of like uh, spilling my thoughts on something. Mm-hmm. And like the most rewarding thing is when someone like writes and is like, "Man, I really connected with that like thought you had. Like that really kind of changed my day here. I kind of like right. started thinking about like that is like, oh, that's so cool. Um, and it's also it's like really wonderful to receive." compliments about my drumming but it doesn't quite move me as much you know right because if i look back on my my life 
there were like a couple, maybe it's a TED talk or maybe it's someone I spoke to in real life or maybe it's, you know, some presentation I saw somewhere. could have been a little sentence that someone said that stuck with you. It could have been like a 30 minute, like, oh my God, like total mindfuck. But those are the things I, that like change you, my life, changed my life, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, no one knew. If only I could like write the person and be like, dude, like that was seriously heavy. Like I, that changed how I think about being creative or that changed how I think about my life or my finances or the people in my life, you know, like those little shifts that mean so much to you, you know, that's what has mattered the most to me, obviously more than like, Oh, someone showed me this dope lick that changed my world, you know, like might change your drumming forever, but like, you know, it's drumming. Right. (laughs) It's, it's like one small part of life. So, right. It, uh, yeah, just that, that's what I, I really value from other people. And, and when I get feedback about my stuff, so. I, res- I respect the, the holistic approach too. Cause I mean, how many cats do you see that are ridiculously talented drummers or athletes or, you know, boxers or whatever, but they're like just bad people. Yeah. Yeah. No, or no, they're no, like too, yeah. drug addicts or beat their wives or, you know, whatever the case may be. It's yeah. Like, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, life, I don't know. There's a lot to life, you know, drumming's one part of it and it's cool to be good at it, but it's like, and it's different for everyone. For me, the, the like last couple of years I've learned so well that like the balance is so necessary, you know, to see my friends and my family more than ever. And my drumming is a part of it and the music that I get to make with other people and traveling and exploring. And another thing is like learning anything, you know, yeah. that's why that's one of the reasons I love drumming is usually always, there's always something to learn. There's always something to progress at. And I think making progress in something is really fun. So like studying French for me is a blast. You know, it's one of my favorite hobbies because you can always speak more eloquently. You can always, I mean, especially for me, I'm like, I'm a beginner here, but you can always speak better. You can always learn new vocab. You can always like learn a better way to say something or describe something, a new analogy. So mm-hmm. yeah, I just think yeah, there's, there's a lot to life. So I feel like the trick is to be happy and the trick to being happy, who knows, but maybe a part of it is like trying to ignore what everyone else wants for them to be happy and yeah. figure out what you want to be happy. Yeah, man. To the keeping up with the Joneses. That's a, that's like, yeah. that's just a rat race. That'll kill you fast. It will. It will. It's like, you know, what works for, you know, what works for other people won't, won't work for, for me. I know. Like I remember, I was building a uh, a business with my brother and we invested, you know, pretty much every dime that we had into this business. And I go over to my friend's house and he just like buys a brand new house. And I'm like, man, I have 75 cents in my bank account, you know? And I'm like, but at the end of the day, like I'm building something that I want and you know, you're working at this job that you're going to be there for the next 40 years, which is fine for you, but that's not going to work for me. So why am I even comparing myself to you? Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, it's brutal, man. And it's so hard to, to sever like yourself from what everyone around you wants. Cause you're like, well, fuck, are they right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> Do they know something I don't. <laughs> right, right. That's did you ever hear of, uh, of, uh, red Fox, the comedian. No, but he's like, one of his skits, he's like, there's too many religions. He was like, somebody's wrong. You know, yes. he's like, it's going to be crowded up there. He's like, if you don't have a reservation, you may have to stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> he's like, somebody's going to hell. Somebody's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I'm a religion. It was just funny. It's like, yeah. Like, what if all these people got it all figured out? And like, you know, you and I are 90 talking to each other. And we're like, shit, we did. We, they were right. You know, right all along. <laughs> yeah. But I think, man, I, you know, I think that you, using your, your day to day as a barometer of like sort of looking in the mirror and saying, you know, am I happy? I mean, I, uh, John Mayer's keyboard player, Andy Burton is, um, he's in the same building that I am. So we talk a lot. And when I interviewed him, he said, you know, every year he just sort of reevaluates if he wants to continue to do this and is he happy, you know? And I think if you use that as a barometer, it's not really, and I, you've, you definitely know this. It's, you know, it's not how much money you're making, although money is important, but it's like at the end of the day, man, am I, am I happy? Am I, am I good with what I'm doing? And that's all that really matters. Yeah, it really is. And, and people, there's also like, it takes a lot to come to terms with the fact that maybe what you love to do or maybe what you're like passionate about isn't like socially super cool and crazy. Like maybe you're not 
like maybe you're not your passion actually isn't to be a rock star it's like knitting you know right <laughs> so like just coming to terms with like okay maybe i'm just like maybe what i love to do isn't like the childhood dream that i drew in my notebook when i was five you know it's actually just what i actually did when i was five mm-hmm. you know maybe that's I, a scary place too yeah yeah totally to just be like oh man but I think as you get older and further away from like high school and college, you like you. I, I find for me, I've reconnected with a lot of stuff I used to like when I was young, and I've realized I'm just the same kid that I was. Mm-hmm. I just like <laughs> I don't know. Right, I'm older and better at some things. One plus once you get older, there's a little bit less of the the pressure of saying like, oh man, this is what people are telling me I should do. So I guess I got to do that thing. And then if it's not working, you're like, why is this not working? Everybody tells me I should be doing this and it, I'm not really into it, but this is what I got to do. And then one day you're just kind of like, F this, I'm just going to yeah, exactly. I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah. And that's cool. The, what the thinking about what the, his keyboard has said about that reassessment every year. Mm-hmm. I think about the same exact thing. And for me, the analogy is like, Imagine you, you're like swimming. You're always swimming towards your goal. So when you're swimming, you kind of know you're going the right way, but like you can't see the island miles away. Mm-hmm. So like you have to come above water every now and then, reassess, maybe every three months, six months, one year, and then put your head down and start working. Right. Because if you come, if you're constantly, you also know like the other like edge of the sword is if you're constantly reassessing every day, you're just, you're not gonna be able to make progress. You're constantly bobbing up above the water being like, well, maybe I should go there. Well, today I feel like I should go there. Right. Today I feel like I should go there. Today Shiny I thought, object syndrome. Yeah, exactly. My idea yesterday, what a dumb idea. But you gotta just like trust the idea and give it time, maybe a month, maybe three months, and then reassess and be like, cool, okay. Because with every idea, you're gonna like have as many days where you're like, this is the greatest thing ever, as you are days where you're like, why did I even think this was a good idea? This is absolutely pathetic, you know? Right. Right. So you can't get scared off by the first time you think like, ah, this is a shit idea. So what would happen if you couldn't make a living playing drums anymore? If they were just like, Hey man, they don't pay people to play drums anymore. That's so that's not, you can't do that. What would you do? Um, well it would, it would be the reason it would be hard if something like that happened now is because once you get like, my life is very, I don't know. Once you're in the creative world at all, your life is very kind of like you plan everything and like there's no boss and like you kind of make your own schedule and do what you want and it's so cool and that's like one of the reasons I why I love what I do so much that would be hard afterward like I feel like I would I feel like I couldn't have like a boss again ever because not because I can't respect someone I don't trust someone's opinion or, or whatever but like I don't know. I've just spent like so long now, just kind of like, well, everything's up to me, <laughs> especially with my website. Like I'm the only one that makes it. So it's like, cool. It's like, do I think that's a good idea? It's like there's no meeting to be had. There's no one to kind of check with. It's like, cool, let's do it. <laughs> right. So it would be a little hard to transition out of that, but what do I think I'd do other than music? <sighs> I don't know. I, I, I love, I've always loved computers and I've always loved, uh, design and the arts in general. Mm-hmm. So I can see myself, I used to think I wanted to be a graphic designer or an architect, but I also think it'd be really cool to like put on a big ass festival, you know, mm-hmm. like do something like that. Like we did a friend of mine, Drew and I did a, a big fundraiser last year for and like Bill Burr came and did like two days and we packed food for people in need and we raised like $50,000 and it was like this, it was kind of like a mini festival. Nice. And it was like a mixture of music and comedy and charity. I think doing something like that would be really cool. I really like being more of a visionary. I really like being in charge of a team because I like, I like the, I don't know. I, I like, it makes me so happy to see someone thrive at what they do best when I suck at it. Right. You know what I mean? But a lot of times people have such amazing skills, but they're not the one to be organizing, you know, right. or just be kind of like dry steering the ship. So like, I mean, that event was such a great experience for me because like we got to work with like the main guy that was that I was working together with. We had such complementary skills, you know, and I love a team like that where it's like he loves doing the nitty gritty and the, and the calculations and the 
the like more uh, like task oriented stuff. Right. And I kind of detest that. And I love more of the visionary stuff. I love talking to people. I love trying to get people on board. I love the big picture and finding the location and who's involved and how the schedule is going to run. I love that stuff. He hates that stuff. Right. So I just like, it's so cool when you have a team of different characters, you know, he's like Ocean's Eleven, you know, everyone's mm-hmm. got their thing. <laughs> right, right. So <laughs> it's I, a I good analogy. Like, and I don't know, I don't know what exactly that would lead to, but I, I would like that kind of thing. You know, it's fun cool. to work on a team, but still have like a lot of responsibility in a sense. The overseeing and being able to see the big picture, that's like a more of a CEO role. When I was in college, the, the uh, professor was like, you have a very good ability of, of overseeing things. And I'm the same way you are. I don't like the nitty gritty and like, you know, very meticulous things, but big picture. I'm like, here's what we're going to do. Here's where it's going to be. We'll get these people, put it all together. And you guys can figure out all the small details. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you find people that love doing all the small details. And it's yeah. like, everyone's happy. Yep. <laughs> but then let's make it happen. Yeah. That's a good way to go. I, I agree. So I got to ask you, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the guitar center drum off. And I think that the listeners would kill me if we didn't at least touch on it. Um, so I, you know, it's a little, it was a little while ago, obviously, and, and I'm sure that you've talked about it, uh, at nauseum, but <laughs> I just, I want to ask you just a couple of questions about it because the drum off is still going on and people are still entering it. And, um, you know, and I, I'd love to hear your advice on it, how you prepared for it. And, and you were really, you know, the guy that, that really started using some electronic stuff. So I want to talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, well, the electronics, that was the first year they, they included it actually in the competition. Okay. So that's why I was kind of the first. <laughs> Is that it you, didn't, didn't, you didn't have to say that. You could have just taken it. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't exist beforehand. <laughs> well, I was an innovator and uh, <laughs> it just went there. Actually the one that convinced him to use it. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, it was kind of, uh, I mean, I had done the competition like five or six times growing up and always got to like, well, at max, got to like the third round out of five, which was, you know, that was cool when I was growing up. And it was always just something I did because, you know, it challenges you. You learn something every time. It's good to get up and plan a solo. It pushes you. So um, it's good to do regardless. Like the worst thing you can do is be like, I'm going to be ready next year because like, who cares? Like you're, <laughs> you literally have nothing to lose. It's free. You're, it's going to force you to practice. It's going to force you to be creative and think about stuff. You're definitely going to learn things. You're probably going to make a friend and you're going to get critiqued on your drumming, which you almost never do. So right. only good things happen. And 99.98% of people don't win it, but it's still good for everyone that does it. It's still awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyways, the, the year I did it, um, Okay. Yeah. It was the first year with the Roland Octopad, which I was like, okay, I think this is a sign. This might be my year because earlier that year I had won the national Roland V drums competition. Mm-hmm. So I could like tell you every page of the manual for the Octopad. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask you. Like how, how did you learn all of this, all of the, yeah. the stuff? Well, I had won an Octopad from the other competition. Well, and actually before I won the Octopad, I had been chilling at the store learning how to use the Octopad. So I mean, that's really all it takes. The funny thing is that like none of those devices are very complicated. Really? Like as far as computers go, they're super basic. Like Super Mario is way more complicated to play (laughs) than it is to use an Octopad. So it was just a matter of literally reading the manual, which is probably like 50 pages, very short, and like learning everything that it can do, which isn't honestly that much. It triggers sounds and there's a looping device and you can edit the sounds. That's literally everything. So I felt like just because of how people are and not to generalize, but how everyone is, um, <laughs> I was kind of like, cool. There's a good chance that like no one's going to take the time to actually learn how to use the Octopad. And I already know how to use it. So that's great. So then going into the competition, the thing is the first round, I like kind of didn't think about it, didn't plan. It was kind of like I was in school and I was like, oh crap, here it is. So I was lucky to get through the first round, which is funny because the first round in Boston is actually really intense because there's a ton of Berkeley kids in it and they're right. all really dope. So I was like, the first round is like one of the, one of the hardest, I think, if you're in Boston or 
Yeah, if you're in the Boston area. Mm-hmm. So the first one, I was I was kind of lucky they got through. Um, and then after that, I kind of had like there was a there was a, a very pivotal moment where I was walking home afterward, and I realized that I could win it. You know, like right. like the thought entered my mind that was like JP. There's really no reason that you cannot win it. You know, like there's there's no like physical handicap. You've seen the winners. You can play kind of like technically what they can play. And you're a pretty clever guy. So like you should be able to compose something, you know, think of it like a solo, like a written piece of music instead of like a wank fest. And at the time I was working on some things in the practice room that I thought were really cool. Like I was working on seven, eight club. I didn't like do that for the drum. I was working on that on my own. I was working on playing in 516. That was like totally new to me at the time. And I was like, man, these are some topics that I've never seen played in the drum off. And I don't see around a lot. Maybe um, I can use those ideas to like stand out in the, in the drum off. So, so my, my solo changed a lot throughout the five rounds. But I think the things that did stay were the 7-8 clave, the 516 groove stuff, and... Uh, and I think that's actually the only thing that stayed throughout the whole time. But I thought those were really unique things. And it was it was something I was really excited about. So when people come up to me and they're like, because, I, I, yeah, of course I get asked about the drum off, but also about just like how to construct solos. A lot of people's first question is, I don't know what to play. You know, and for me, right, it's right. Well, play what, what you love playing, you know, play what you're working on in the practice room. Because if I, I presumably if you're spending months working on something you probably like it and you want to get good at it and you think it's really cool so pick something you really you think is really cool because a you're gonna think it's cool and the audience is gonna feel what you think so they're gonna think it's cool b like you're good it's gonna force you to work really hard at that thing because you want to display the best version of it you know Right, right, right. Like, oh man, like I spent so long trying to get free over like a seven, eight clave, and it, I wouldn't, I never, ever would have spent that much time working on an independence exercise like that if I, if it wasn't going to be eventually displayed in front of like a couple thousand drummers and YouTube. So it pushed me in an immense way. Uh, but yeah, I worked, I worked my way through the rounds and I, like I said before, I had never gotten past the third round. So when I got to the fourth round, I was like, Oh, this is kind of serious. Like if I, if I can get past this, I'm to the finals and that's crazy. So I, yeah, it went well again and I was to the finals. And at this point, this is where the, this is where the story gets interesting. <laughs> um, because I had kind of, I've, I've always been a pretty good student, but I had, I had set myself a really strict rule of like, okay, I'm going to practice four hours a day for the drum off no matter what. Um, and this is like with classes, uh, playing in a bunch of bands, rehearsals, shows, midterms, like so much stuff. Sure. Um, and I, I like hadn't really done my midterms at all because I was in, I was in a bunch of composition and arranging classes. So it take, it's like you write these massive pieces for big bands. So it was just, it takes a lot of time. So I had not done any of it. And the finals were starting to approach. We were a couple of weeks away. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm either going to spend like 200 hours doing these projects and that's all, or I'm going to drop out of school and practice for the drum off. <laughs> it could be a life-changing opportunity. And when it's done, I don't want to have to say, what if I had done this? What if I had tried more? What if I had blah, blah, blah. Right, right, right. So, um, at the same time, I was thinking, I was starting to realize that, but maybe it was the end of my time at Berkeley anyways, because I was there not for a degree, but I was there for the knowledge. And I felt like for what I wanted to do, like practical information, I had taken most of it and I had met most of the people that I ended up needing to meet, you know, because right. honestly, for people who are going to music college who are listening to this, you're going to get 90% of Let's, let's follow the 80-20 rule. You're going to get 80% of what you're going to take from music school in the first two years because you meet all the people you're going to meet. You don't, you don't really make that many friends after that. And it's like then the classes become very specialized. At least they were at Berkeley. And I wasn't specializing in anything. I was like a general, I want to get better at writing and playing and learn about business and do this. So to pick a specialization just wasn't, attractive to me at all. Nothing. I had no interest in any of them. Right. So 
for me, it was like, cool, maybe like I was having trouble filling my next schedule because I was, I didn't want to take anything. So for me, it was like, okay, I might not be coming back to Berkeley anyways, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> I think I want to just drop out, withdraw from this semester so I don't have to do all the work. Um, but you know, keep going to the classes and keep learning. Um, and then, you know, come home for December. And during that month of December, I literally just obsessed over the drum off. And I was doing a week after the guitar center drum off was the Roland international V drums competition. So I was preparing for the two at the same time. And the, I just had this dope setup in Minnesota in my parents' basement where I had my acoustic kit set up with the octopad and then I could flip around and I had the electric kit set up and the octopad was still there to use. <laughs> and then I had the sampling pad. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, that's literally all I did. So I, I practiced acoustic drum till it was too late for the neighbors and then switched the electric kit and just did that for like a month and then went to California to do the competition. Nice. And so we all know how that turned out. <laughs> yeah. So I, like what's, What's interesting is that I feel like if I hadn't, wouldn't have won because like I very well could have not won. Like, it's not like, I don't feel like, oh, fucking landslide killed it. You know, like, sure, it could have gone to whoever. There's a lot of luck involved. But I feel like either way, I would have been like, cool, that was actually my best. You know, that was, I don't think I could have done any more hours. I don't think I could have really done anything more. So I felt like if I could leave with that feeling then I could sleep soundly and I'd be happy. Right. And I feel right. like I could have, you know, had I not won, I think I could have. Yeah. Like you said, if you didn't do all of that stuff and lost, you're like, man, I wonder what would have happened. Exactly. If I'd have done all this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, so I get it. And it was the same when I was thinking about music college, you know, it wasn't an easy decision because it's so expensive. Right. Um, but I was like, if I don't do it just for the rest of my life, I'm going to be like, what if I had tried to do music, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was definitely uh, the biggest turning point in my life for the better. So yeah, that's important to just kind of be like, cool, I'm going to remove all the what ifs and I will be at my best. Mm -hmm. So a last one lasting piece of advice that you would give for, for drummers who are listening to this that are coming up. In terms, just in general, in life, or sure, any, anything you want. Wow, big question. You know the what it is. Floor is yours. Um, I preach. I don't preach. I mean, let's be real. I do preach sometimes, but um, one idea that is reoccurring in my uh, in my in my teaching and my preaching and my speaking is the whole idea of being a doist, mm -hmm. and. I really do think that that is the most important part of like, not only if you're a drummer and it's your career, but really your life, you know, when you're, especially when you're going through high school, going through university, and then that period after where you're trying to figure out where you fit in in the world. I feel like being a doist is the best thing. And being a doist is like, it's a two phase thing. And the first phase is a combination of two things. One, putting yourself in the best place to succeed, wherever that is. For me, that was Berkeley College of Music. For other people, it's just moving to a different city. For other people, it's just simply leaving home. It could be anything, but it's like, you don't want to ask what if, you know, like, how shit would it be every day if I woke up and I was like, man, if only I was in Boston, if only I was at New York, you know, it's like, yeah. that's a horrible feeling. So put yourself in the place where you can't have that excuse. Because then it ends up being your fault every time. Yep. And that's, that's a lot of responsibility. Then you'll do the work. So the first thing in phase one, put yourself in the best place to succeed. Part two in phase one is be the guy that makes it happen. Because every group needs a duist to lead them. Every band has a leader. There is no exception. Someone needs to book the rehearsal. Someone needs to be like, hey, guys, that actually sounded really bad. Why don't we just do the pre-chorus a couple times more? Mm -hmm. Like someone needs to just be that person that's saying, OK, we have the idea. Let's try it. You know, like and this is like what I call reckless doing <laughs> because you take every opportunity you can get. You never know who you're going to meet. You never go. You never know what you're going to learn. You never know what you're going to learn. You don't like you never know what you're going to learn. You do like so. This first phase of doing is aggressive doing. And that was basically my time in high school and, and Berkeley. And like, 
a little bit after. And it was like, I, I probably was probably for my, in my three years in Boston, I was probably in like 12 bands. Mm-hmm. And now one of those has lasted, but it's very important to me. And through all that mayhem, I met my best friends. I learned how to play with a ton of different groups and different styles. You know, I learned a ton from it. So the phase of aggressive doing was absolutely essential for me to enter phase two, which is kind of like what I'm entering now, which is like, okay, it's time to stop doing everything and choose and do it smartly. So now I'm kind of like, okay, this is what I like. This is what I don't like. And it's like when you grow up and you come to terms with like, okay, I don't want to be the cat everyone calls for sub gigs on wedding gigs. You know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to play cover gigs. I don't want to play jazz. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. So it's like over time you start to be like, okay, now I'm to the point where I've done a ton of doing and now it's time for me to be smart and choose how I proceed and proceed smartly, make a plan, make a long-term plan, think about budget you know, like that's where you get into a lot of adulty things, but I honestly don't think you have to do that till you become kind of an adult. <laughs> right. <laughs> the other, the other thing that one of the things that sticks with me most in my life that I read in Stephen Pressfield's book, the war of art. Yep. It's a great it book. Is, yeah. And the biggest thing that young people should remember is that you don't, he says this, you don't become a musician when you start getting paid. I'm sorry, you don't become a professional when you start getting paid. That's what a lot of people say. Oh, you're professional when you make a living from it. But that's bullshit. You become a professional when you start acting like a professional. Right. Right. That means you show up to work because we're in a, we're in a, uh, a career where there is no job. There are no hours. So you don't want to have a nine to five job because you want to be an artist, but you don't want to work eight hours a day. It's never going to work. And in fact, it's harder to make a living. So it shouldn't be 10 to 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you have to show up to work and put the time in, whatever that means for like whatever you're doing. Um, but I really feel like if someone's like really trying for eight hours a day to like make themselves that thing, whether it's a painter or a musician or a, I don't know, a festival owner or whatever it is. If you're trying for eight, 10 hours a day, and you're actually sitting there trying, I would be willing to bet that you will figure it out. You know, the reason most people don't figure it out is because they just tread water and they spend their whole life. Remember the analogy about swimming and then coming up for air and reassessing? They spend their whole life reassessing or assessing because there's nothing to reassess and they never actually put their head down and swim towards something. So that would be my biggest advice is be a doist be the person that makes it happen. And like, if you think of it and you think that it is possible, it's like, if you think of it, it's already possible because you're like, Oh cool. What if I did that? You know, you've really already subconsciously thought of all the ways that you could get there because if you couldn't think of the ways to get there, you wouldn't think of the idea in the first place. So it's kind of, that's, and it like can be uh, it can turn cheesy to be like, you know, what are your dreams and do them. Start doing them now. But really, that's the biggest thing is to be like, okay, I'm going to start now. Right. Dude, I don't think that's cheesy at all, man. That's like you mentioned preaching. That's one of the things I preach. It's like, man, there is no reason for you to be doing shit that you hate. Yeah. You know? It's like if you're thinking about the fact that you don't want to do shit that you hate, then you're the type of person that's smart enough to figure out how to not do shit you hate. Right. Like you just have to put the time in like life is like a big version of drumming. And the more time you spend thinking about how to get good at drumming, the better you get at drumming. The more time you spend thinking about how to get better at life and trying new things and experimenting in different domains and trying this and trying that, the better you get at living life and kind of shaping life into what you want it to be, which Mm -hmm. for everyone is different. But for me is, um, you know, for me, that means that I have enough control. Right. I can kind of shape things how I want. I have time with my friends. I have creative output and I have loved ones nearby. Mm-hmm. Totally 100% agree with you. So oh, if people want to get in touch with you, because I know that you teach. Um, so what, what's the best way for them to reach out and, and connect with you? Well, my website is jpbuvetmusic.com. And it's at the moment, there are around 250 educational or inspirational videos. There's a new one every Saturday and there are thousands of members from around the world. It's a 
it's it's a little the real the real the reason it's different from like a given any other given educational site out there is simply because it's me teaching it's my ideas and I share what I'm excited about you know I share like my tricks and tools the things that I actually think about the things I think are important not necessarily the things that like quote unquote you should know you know what I mean it's like more things I think you should know it's not necessarily an encyclopedia of every groove ever you know there's no like bossa nova 101 video on there Mm -hmm. But there are tons of videos on things that I think are important, how to be creative, how to um, how to be creative in different domains, you know, how to play a drum solo, how to how to think about dynamics on the drum set. So the things that over time and and actually constantly because there are always new videos, there are things that I think are the most important in my life and I think are the most useful. So I try to really be an open book on there and not you know, not hide anything. That's like, this is my lick. You know, if I have a lick, it's your lick. And then I'm forced to think of more stuff. So it's good for everyone really. Mm -hmm. So the website is where there's a lot of stuff. And my, I mean, as far as contacting me directly, the, the contact page is on there and my Facebook page is out there, the, the fan page. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I like to keep in close contact with, with my little community Mm-hmm. So it, it's fun. It's a fun thing to be a part of, I think, because especially because with all the traveling I do, I get to meet a lot of the people that are either members of the website or members of the Facebook page. And there's a lot of times in the last three years that I've been like, hey, guys, I'm coming to South America. Like, does anyone want to like organize something together? And then half the events I do are set up like that. And someone's like, yo, I live here. I'll go talk to the music shop and we'll organize a clinic and then you can crash at my place. I'll show you the city. I'll show you some regional food. And that's like how I do half of the things I, uh, that I do for my career. And honestly, that those are the most life-changing events for me because I see like I get to meet new people, make new friends, and I get to see this sincerity and this care and this love for the drumming community that is just kind of unreal. So... Yeah, I'm I'm on I'm an, I'm honored to be a part of it and uh it's fun. So, yeah, that's kind of kind of what I do if you want to be be a be a part of it. Nice. Well, JP, man, I I thank you for doing this, man. I I appreciate everything you do that, you know, for the drumming community and I appreciate your your insights into who you are, what you do and the message that you're putting out there of just, you know, really stressing that it's your life. You can do whatever you want with it and you need to really take control of it. So I applaud you for that, man. And again, I just, uh, I appreciate what you do. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. Anytime and uh, be well and thanks again. And I'll be talking to you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right, brother. See you later. So there you have it, Mr. J.P. Bouvet, and I hope that you got as much out of that as I did. I hope it inspired you and motivated you to just sort of get out of your own way and and define your own course and define your own life. And for links to everything that we talk about in the podcast, you can visit drummersresource.com forward slash session one three zero. And by the way, I mentioned this before. I was being serious. Reach out to me on Facebook. Reach out to me on Twitter, on Instagram. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers R source. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have a conversation with you and until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I love you. I mean it. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.